All right, according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me if you would. You can do Luke 1 if you want. Actually, we're going to look at a few other things as well. So if you want to hold off, you can. Let's open with a word of prayer and let's start our review of the life of Christ, shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for the blessing that we have to assemble together. We thank you, Father, for the last 10 years and the uh, blessings of studying the the life and ministry and message of, uh, of your Son and uh, what he accomplished in his first advent in the the uh, maximum humility that he exhibited, humbling himself even to death on the cross, Father. And for this reason, you also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every other name. Father, uh, I pray that we might learn what you would have for us to learn, that we would be imitators of him in every respect, that, Father, we might also uh, humble ourselves under your mighty hand, that you would exalt us at the proper time. Now, Father, we give you all the praise and glory for what you have taught and we continue to study and we continue day by day to uh, to lay hold of that for which also we were laid hold of by Christ Jesus. We thank you in his most precious and holy name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, here's my favorite webpage, austinbiblechurch.com. And uh, what I typically will do is I will look at our teaching schedule there in the middle of the page and go to the study that I'm interested in at the moment. It is Life of Christ. Click on that. And what comes up here is uh, the most recent class, which was, and backwards, all right? Uh, The Ascension we covered uh, up through Lesson 474. That was a week ago on April 16th, and, uh, and so forth. By the way, if you've not explored this, you're missing out. This is one of the best things imaginable. Um... And it's, it typically the default setting is the most recent one because that's those are the ones that people are interested in. Uh, I missed class last Wednesday. I want to go get the most recent one, or I missed the last two. I want to go get the most recent ones. And you can do that for all of our all of our studies. You can do that for if you miss Romans, if you miss Corinthians. It just takes you to the most recent one. The most recent in in Second uh, Corinthians was four seventy one, and the topic is blessing and cursing, for example. So any of the series is here. Let me go back to Life of Christ. And once we finish today's class, it'll get uploaded, typically within two minutes or five minutes of class being over, it's there. I mean, it doesn't take long. Dan sends it from that desk right there, all right? And it, it, it will be the website. It be, I like to tell people, before you get home, all right, the, uh, the MP3 will beat you there. It'll be on the website. Uh, <clears throat> you can do a number of other things with this. For example, you'll notice those top four there are the Ascension. Uh, then you have the Great Cognition which we had covered before that. Lessons 467, 468, 469, and 470. See, if you don't remember what lessons they were that we were teaching a particular topic, well then just go look at it at the website. Go look at it and see. Oh, okay, that's where it was. The Great Commission was before that. Okay, let's scroll down here a little bit. I should have brought a mouse with me this morning. That's okay. Um, the appearance to 500, the uh, Jesus appearance before, uh, or to seven disciples. 
All right. So you can just work your way back. Also on the right-hand side are is an outline. And we've got to tweak it a little bit because it's not always um, in order. It needs to be. It's mostly in order. Um, and you'll have the different uh, sections. Now, I'm going to start with, I'm going to show you how to use this. All of a sudden, I'm not seeing the harmony there. Okay. There's summary and conclusion. There's introduction. Used to be a harmony of the Gospels on there, and it disappeared. Well, I can find it this way. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to resort it in order. Instead of getting the last one, I want to go back to the first one. And by clicking on that Listen button at the top, there it is. And we started with our Harmony of the Gospels. So there we have it. I'm going to back up again. I'm going to show you a couple of other things. While we're here, if you want to do more on the Ascension, say, you know, I was here. I didn't miss the classes. I was here. But I missed some of the points. I didn't write some of the things down. Or there were other things I was confused about. I want to re-listen to those four lessons on the Ascension. Because I know the pastor said something about multiple ascensions, and I want to go back and I want to review those classes, I want to review those notes. Well then, go ahead and select this topic. Just click on the topic, the ascension. And look what happens. Not only does it chop the list down and give you only those four, okay, it removes everything else off your plate and just gives you those four lessons. And again, they're in, in reverse order, but you can, you can always sort that. Um, but also here you have the PDF document. You've got, you see the little PDF? Do you recognize the Adobe icon, the little PDF icon there? All right. And it says file, the ascension and session of Jesus Christ. And when you click on that, what does it do? It brings up the printed notes. All right. So the printed notes, and this is effective as of yesterday, the printed notes for every single subject in the last 10 years of the life of Christ is now on the website for any any chapter in the life of Christ you want to go back and review. All right, so those are the notes I taught from. Those are the notes that were uh, on the slideshow that, that you saw if you were in class. It's just you get them all on a single page instead of slide by slide by slide. And in, uh, I guess I could put the slides up there, but to me, is why put the slides up there if you can just have them all on a single page? Yes, sir. They're not all as current. No, no. Uh, the the, pres- the the finished studies, yes. The uh, Romans uh, haven't put any Romans notes up yet. Second Corinthians, I think, they're posted up through maybe chapter ten, something like that. I'm a little bit behind on those. We need to get those put up too. Yeah, but that's pretty much how it works. That's right. You uh, bring up the topic. You bring up the topic, and then uh, you'll have the file right there. Easy, uh, easy to find the file. So. Um, Going back to Life of Christ then. And going back to the beginning. And bringing up Harmony of the Gospels. If, uh, in fact, if you can't find anything, that's why we've got a Google search button here. Just do Harmony. And let Google show you where the files are. That's another way of doing it. Just 
There it is. And, and Google has found, not only has, they found, has Google found the Harmony of the Gospels PDF document, they also found uh, Life of Christ lesson number one, which has the topic title Harmony of the Gospels. So sometimes that, that Google search window on the top of the church web page is the easiest thing to find as well. All right. Harmony of the Gospels. I notice we don't have any out in the hallway anymore. We used to. We used to but there's not a pocket for them anymore. So if uh, you no longer have your copy, then uh, like you've lost it in the last 10 years, go to the website, click on this link, get the document, and there it is. Okay. And by the way, sometimes it's better to get it fresh off the website because occasionally when we fix typos and whatever, we, we can edit it and fix it and change the typo and make it right put it on the website, and then the, the newest one is always the one that, that it's going to feed you when, uh, when you get to that point. So anyway, here's uh, your four-page Harmony of the Gospels, and uh, this is what we have. Now, as you think your way through, as you think your way through Life of Christ, okay, didn't want to give it away with it sitting up there, You've got um, the different large sections of the, of the Lord's ministry, right? For instance, you've got his Galilean ministry, and you've got his Perean ministry. All right? Which one came first? Do you know? Can you think your way through? Do you, do you consider the um, sequence and the chronology of these different ministries? Can you think of what some of the other headings are besides the Galilean ministry and the Perean ministry? He had a Judean ministry, an early Judean ministry, a later Judean ministry, okay? It's easy to tell which one comes first. <laughs> the early Judean ministry comes before the later Judean ministry. Well, what came in between? The Galilean ministry, the Perean ministry, in that order, okay? So as you think your way through, it's good to review this. Go back to that again. And you'll see that our harmony began here with the, uh, can I make this bigger? Maybe not. Yes, I can make that bigger. There we go. Can you read that? The first section was simply called Introductions to Jesus Christ. We have Luke's introduction in Luke chapter 1. The pre-incarnation work of Christ in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We realize that Jesus existed before the, the virgin birth. Okay, And we know that. He was God the Son from all eternity past. So before the virgin conceived, before Jesus humbled himself and emptied himself and took the form of a man, he existed. And that's John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, we taught two different genealogies, the Matthew genealogy, the Luke genealogy, and you got the verses there, okay? All of that was in the introductory classes, and that's, again, it's on the website in that section. This page actually is going to be helpful for you if you can't remember when something happened. You can't remember, well, I got all these puzzles here about Matthew chapter 6, but when did he teach Matthew chapter 6? Right? And I'm going to send the pastor an email. Pastor, can you explain this verse in Matthew chapter 6? All right? Yeah, I can. But if you want to find it yourself, you can find it yourself. So go look at Matthew and say, okay, chapter 1, chapter 3, 
Chapter 4. Ooh, it skipped ahead to chapter 8. Why did it do that? All right, back to chapter 4, back to chapter 8, back to chapter 9. So where is my uh, Matthew chapter 6? Oh, there it is. Sermon on the Mount. Down there at the bottom of page 1. It's because it's Matthew 5, 1 through 7, 29. Matthew 5, 1 through 7, 29. That's when you go, ah, of course. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, those three chapters are all Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. Parallel a little bit in Luke chapter 6. And you can see it there. Did, did Mark cover the Sermon on the Mount? Did John cover the Sermon on the Mount? No. There's blanks there in those columns. But in the Matthew column, it's Matthew 5, 1 through seven twenty nine. In the Luke column, it's Luke 6, verses 20 through 49. And so this, this harmony, this handout, I tell you, it's going to be your best friend in the world. It's four pages. You can print it front and back, and you know it's only two sheets of paper in a four-page handout. Or don't even print it. Just leave it as a PDF on your desktop and, and go with it like that. <clears throat> All right, so there it is, Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, is, is it in the Prean ministry or is it in the Galilean ministry? Is it in the Judean ministry? What, what section of the life of Christ is it found? Well, obviously, it's the 17th event in the Galilean ministry of Jesus from 30 AD to 32 AD. Okay? Well, right there. Okay? But see, this is why it's all out of order, and this is why the harmony is helpful. Because as you work your way through, you got, okay, Matthew 4, Matthew 4, and then it jumps to Matthew 8, and then back to Matthew 4, 8, 9, 12, and then the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew 5. See, Matthew does not write his gospel in a sequential order. Matthew is very thematic. Matthew is the gospel of discourse. It's in the gospel of Matthew that we got five great discourses. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 13 parables, Matthew 18 parables. You've got the um, Mount Olivet discourse. And you've got, what's the fifth one? Oh, this is terrible, I'm forgetting. There's a fifth one, all right? It's like the, the five books of uh, the Pentateuch or the five books of Psalms. There's the five discourses of Matthew. All right. There's a fifth one. I'm just spacing out this morning. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. you got the headings right there. And this is in the Galilean ministry of Jesus. Let's look at the section headings, just to remind yourself, all right? Introductions to Jesus Christ is the first section. The birth, infancy, and adolescence of Jesus and John the Baptist. We had 17 events before... Anything else? I mean, before, before Jesus even had a ministry, before Jesus was baptized, you notice um, you don't get until the fourth section do you get Jesus baptized and the introduction there. So section one is called Introductions to Jesus Christ, simply includes the, the pre-incarnate work, the genealogies, the introductory material, Luke's introduction that we have in Luke 1, 1 through 4, and then the birth, infancy, and adolescence of Jesus and John the Baptist. This section here, this is where the angel shows up and announces the birth of John the Baptist. Remember that? Okay. Who did he announce the birth of John the Baptist to? His father or his mother? Nope, his father. Scared the willies out of him in the temple. Okay. Because Zacharias was actually inside the temple conducting his priestly duties. He thought he was all alone. You ever been inside the church and you thought you were the only one in the church and then, and then uh, 
Pastor Bob says hi, and you didn't even realize that he'd showed up, and then you jump out of your skin, okay? I've scared quite, you know, Fallon's in here cleaning on a Thursday morning. She doesn't know anybody's coming in, and I came in to make photocopies or something, and she, you know, I try not to scare people. I try to make a noise or call out from across the building saying, I'm here. All right. John the Baptist's father was inside. You want to read more on that? Where are you going to turn? Matthew? No? Mark? No? John? No? It's Luke. Luke 1, verses 5 through 25. Okay? And this, this diagram will tell you where you need to turn to find that story, where you need to turn to remind yourself of that event. The announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary. Still in Luke chapter 1. And that's, of course, Gabriel who goes to Mary and has the same peace be to you. We're going to look at that one. Uh, let see. I think we're going to look at Mary's song of praise today. That's what I want to do before we leave at the top of the hour. Um, but the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, the, the announcement of, the, of Jesus' birth to Mary, the song of Elizabeth to Mary, because remember Mary went to find her cousin and find out that this old lady got pregnant, and uh, she spent some time with her cousin. And that's when the, the baby inside uh, Elizabeth's womb jumped for joy, we're told. Okay. Let's look at that. Luke chapter 1. So verses uh, 1 through 4 is the introduction, and then uh, verses 5 and following. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now if Elizabeth was of the daughters of Aaron, tribe of Levi, and Mary was a Davidic descendant, tribe of Judah, how were they uh, kinsmen? Okay, Probably by marriage connecting the tribe of Levi and the tribe of Judah. In any event, both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. And it happened while he was performing his priestly service before God on the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. So he's in there by himself, This is a highlight of his life and ministry that he was selected by Lot to do this. And uh, they're out there praying. And uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. (laughs) And Zechariah was troubled. Okay, In the Greek, it's, you know, scared willy. Um, And he saw the angel and fear gripped him. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid. That's a classic Gabriel catch line, right? That's... uh, you know, James Bond always says what he says, and um, you have these catch lines, you know, uh, shaken, not stirred. Uh, Gabriel's is always, do not be afraid, okay? Because I think he was so glorious that he tended to spook human beings that looked at him. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bury you a son, and you will give him the name John. You know, we don't know how old he was. We're just told that he's old. But did he ever quit praying? Your petition has been heard. Now here's Zacharias and Elizabeth, however old they are, probably ancient like 50 or something, right? And they keep praying, they keep praying. They haven't stopped praying. I love that. Anyway, great prophecy here about John the Baptist. His ministry is a forerunner. We'll skip over that down through verse 17. But then his question in verse 18, how will I know? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Well, you've been praying for it. 
I just popped in out of nowhere and said, your prayers have been answered. And you're doubting me. You're doubting me. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Do you know who you're speaking to? (laughs) Right? Do you know who I am? I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you, to bring you good news. Behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words. We have the commentary here. When he asked his question, he was not acting in faith. He was not responding in faith. His question was a doubtful question. How can this be? And he had no faith that it could possibly happen. And so because he did not believe, then he's under divine discipline. I find it interesting now, let me skip on down. The rest of this is where he comes out of the temple. They wondered why he was taking so long. And uh, he comes out and he can't speak. And now they're really amazed. All right, he kept doing signs and sign language and remained mute, couldn't speak. They realized something had happened to him in there. All right, so then he goes home, Elizabeth gets pregnant, and uh, so forth. Now, in the sixth month, verse 26, still in Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month, either of the calendar year or the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, I think that's a better way to take that, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of Mary of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now what's interesting, he comes in, doesn't say he popped in, he just came in, and he said to her, greetings favored one, the Lord is with you. This is where they get the Hail Mary full of grace, right? Um, you have found favor with God in verse 30. But she was uh, very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was said, do not be afraid, Mary. There's that line again. Do not be afraid. He does the same thing with Daniel, by the way, in the book of Daniel. You know, Gabriel has been around for thousands of years, and every testament he pops into somebody's life and starts talking to them, and they get scared. And so whether you're reading Daniel or you're reading Luke, when, when Gabriel arrives, one of the first things he says is, do not be afraid, okay? You have found favor with God. Behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now notice, Mary has a question. And her question in verse 34 is largely, almost word for word, identical to Zacharias's question. Remember what Zacharias answered, asked in verse 18? How will I know this? What does Mary ask? How can this be? They both have a how question. Zacharias has a how question with a since. How? Because since I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Mary has a how question with a since. Her since is, I'm a virgin. They both have a how question. They both have a since to explain the how question. But Mary is not rebuked. Mary does not receive this How dare you? Don't you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And because you don't believe me, I'm going to discipline you. Okay? That doesn't happen with Mary. I believe there's two ways you can ask a how question. How can this be question? Either without faith or with faith. Without faith, how can this be? I'm an old man. My wife's an old lady. We're not having babies. Okay? That's a how question where you don't believe it in the first place. But then there's a how question where you do believe it. There's a how question where you do walk by faith. 
And you're simply asking, how? Wow. That's gonna, I'm going to have a baby. How's that going to happen? I'm a virgin. How's that going to happen? You see the difference? It's the same how question, but one has no faith and one has all the faith. Total faith. Wow. In amazement, believing, believing that what the Lord said He will do. And in this case, Mary, the young girl, we don't know. I told Zoe at the dinner table last night, she may have been 13. You know, might have been 12. Could have been, they started younger back then. And Zoe was kind of creeped out that she might be married and pregnant at that age, right? And then I told Chris to stop laughing because he, he should be in the army by now. <laughs> All right. Killing people on the field of battle. David was younger than him when he killed Goliath. All right. How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and told her the how. Here's the mechanics. You want to know how it's going to happen? Okay, I'll tell you how it's going to happen. See, she didn't believe. She did not doubt. She never doubted. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Overshadow. Most people take that as meaning the Holy Spirit impregnates her. I think the Holy Ralph Braun taught this. That the Holy Spirit provided the privacy. The Holy Spirit provided the, the uh, overshadowing. But the Father actually impregnated the Virgin. And Minor point, we'll find out when we get to heaven. Uh, for that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. Whether it was the Father or Holy Spirit that actually impregnated the womb, most people say it's the Holy Spirit, but I, I, I ponder that term overshadow and what that is designed. I like, I like the way Ralph explained that as the privacy. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, remember that cousin of your, your relative, that whatever, distant relative by marriage, that old lady, uh, she has also conceived a son in her old age. She who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Not only is there a sign, I mean, the promise that you're going to be a, a pregnant virgin, but if you struggle to believe that you're a pregnant virgin, there's a pregnant old lady over there going about to have a baby. And you know who she is, you know how to find her. So Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord may it be done to me according to your word. In other words, not my will, but thine be done the attitude that Christ had in the garden. And the angel departed from her. So Mary uh, gets up and goes, hurries to the hill country and greets uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And here's an important aspect. We taught that. Of course, we taught all of this. Um, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cries out, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And her explanation in verse 44 when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb, notice now, for joy. A spiritual capacity of kara joy. All right? And to me, um, I think this devastates the bracket teaching on Nashama, breath of life. Okay? There's a bracket teaching, if you're familiar with it, that says that babies don't receive soul life until they depart the womb. That when, the, when they get their first breath, then God puts that soul in that baby. And Baraka teaches this, and I'm, I'm, I don't. I never have taught this. Okay? Because this is a baby filled with the Holy Spirit before they leave the womb. That was the promise. He'll be filled with the Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. He has to have a soul to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And likewise, joy. 
How does he have kara joy if he's not yet spiritually alive or soulishly alive with a living soul? So I think this is, somebody asked me this the other day about whether I accept the uh, Nashama teaching. I said, well, I can't even see Nashama applied to Eve. I see Nashama applied to Adam. He breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul, but then he formed the rib and made Eve and there's no Nashama verse for Eve. He took the rib, he made a woman. She already had Nashama. She already had a soul because she was made from Adam and Adam had a soul. All right. Then Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. My soul, let's see. Oh, the, the final word there. The baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed. Is she talking about herself or is she talking about Mary? I think she's talking about both. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her to her by the Lord. I don't think she's talking about herself. She's talking about Mary. Zacharias did not believe. You did not believe my words, verse 20. Mary did believe. Blessed is she who believed, verse 45, that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So take these verses and and put them side by side and put them, Zacharias, Mary, Zacharias, Mary, uh, didn't believe, believed, asked how, asked how, said since, since, okay? Disciplined, blessed. (laughs) because Zechariah did not believe, Mary did believe. Then Mary has a song of praise, verses 46 through 56. Now here is where, I'm going to go back now. In fact, let me just do that and bring up Life of Christ. Birth, infancy, adolescence. Here we go. Mary's song of praise. We taught this in class 16, 17, and 18. So where were you in May of 2004? All right, May 12th, May 19th, and May 26th of 2004. Mary's song of praise. And there's the MP3s just sitting right there, minding their own MP3 business. We'll take the notes not a lot of notes. It's pretty short. Let's uh, cover this before we leave today. Mary's song of praise. Is that too small? All right, that's probably. Don't want to cut off the Latin there. This is called the Magnificat. Anybody have a Catholic background? You used to go to a Catholic church or a little bit? Okay. The Magnificat in the Latin comes from the Vulgate. Um, as it says here in Luke 1 46, my soul exalts the Lord. My soul exalts the Lord. In the Latin, it's et ait Maria magnificat anima mea. Dominum. Dominum then is Lord, right? Like anno domini in the year of our Lord. Anima mea, my soul, my anima. Do you know that the Latin for soul is anima? 
<laughs> All right. Magnificat. Magnificat. My soul exalts to exalt, to praise, to worship. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Why does Mary need a Savior if she's sinless and perfect? <laughs> okay, again, rough day for Roman teaching this morning. All right. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that Mary was born sinless. The Immaculate Conception was her conception to her parents that she entered into this world in a sinless state. Even though she had a human father and a human mother, she was born sinless through an Immaculate Conception. And then because she was sinless, she could then birth the Christ, a sinless Christ, which is bizarre. All right, How was she born Immaculate? And why wasn't that process good enough for Christ to be born immaculate? You know, why, why have a second process to have a sinless mother and, and a virgin, sinless virgin with no human father? Um, well, if she was born sinless, how did that happen? And why couldn't anybody else be born sinless that way with an immaculate conception kind of a thing? Well, no, she's not sinless. Mary's got all kinds of sins. Mary needs a Savior. And she knows she needs a Savior. And she praises... She rejoices in God, my Savior. So there it is. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. So she knows that she is significant in the history of humanity, and yet she's humble about it, that God didn't pick her out because of anything she earned or deserved. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. It's all God, nothing to her. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. You realize how much doctrine this 13-year-old girl has? Where did she learn all this? Where did this all come from? He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. I think she knows her Bible. Sounds to me like she knows Daniel. She knows about the fall of Nebuchadnezzar and his reinstatement. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Money doesn't solve everything. In fact, money can be a snare. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. Wow, she knows about the Davidic covenant. She knows about the call of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the renaming of Jacob as Israel. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And so Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. And uh, that's why I think the sixth month is the sixth month of Mary's of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Mary stays there three months and then it's the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son. So Mary stayed there long enough to see the kid born or just before, what have you, maybe helped out with the delivery and then went back to Nazareth. Mary's song of praise commonly referred to as the Magnificat uh, because of the Latin Vulgate there in Luke one forty six point two. her song is similar to that of Hannah's in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10. In fact, a lot of commentaries, first thing they do is they mention how parallel this is to Hannah in uh, 1 Samuel 2. 
And so if you are, are you familiar with that? If you're not familiar with that, there's another woman who can't have a baby. There's another woman that's all depressed because uh, she is, uh, her husband has two wives and the other wife keeps having these kids <laughs> and she's not having any. And that's a, a mark of shame and it's a mark of, uh, of uh, discouragement for her that she can't produce uh, an heir. She can't produce a child for her husband. And, of course, he's relaxed about it. He's got grace, and he tells her, you're better to me than... Are you familiar with this, 1 Samuel 2? Let's look at that, 1 Samuel 2. You know what else you can do with this? Print that off, take a sheet of paper, tuck it in your Bible, and go to a family devotion with your wife or your kids or your neighbor or your enemy or whoever. You know, it's just a half sheet of paper. You can fold it in half, tuck it in the back of your Bible, and keep it on hand for someday down the road. I won't even charge you for it. How about that? Because <laughs> I won't even know that you downloaded it. Better. All right. So she's praying, she's all discouraged. That's what chapter one's about. And uh, the background here with uh, her husband and the two wives and all the discouragement and everything else. So um, when uh, she does have her baby, she dedicates him to the Lord and Samuel enters into priestly service from youth, basically, as a boy. So Hannah, chapter 2, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is not no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. There's a lot of doctrine in this chapter too. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor the rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillar of the Lord, the pillars of the Lord of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. See, a lot of this is dualism, parallelism that we might find in the book of Proverbs. Where did she learn all this? All right. Did she, uh, when was first Samuel written? What, what day did she when was she raised? I mean, what what time of history are we dealing with here? Does she have the book? Okay, here's a question. Does Hannah have the book of Proverbs to read? How do you know that? Because 1 Samuel comes before Proverbs in your Bible? (laughs) Careful. Because Samuel is a prophet who anoints David, and David is the father of Solomon, and Solomon is the author of... Right. So Solomon, the author of Proverbs, dad isn't even born yet because david isn't born yet because solomon or samuel was an old man when samuel anointed the little boy david to be king okay see you see that why this is important thinking your way through the sequence of the old testament 
All right. So she doesn't have Proverbs to learn from, but she sure is speaking a few of them here. He keeps the feet of his godly ones. That's verse 9. But the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Not by might shall a man prevail. That sounds like Proverbs. It sounds like Ecclesiastes. It sounds like uh, Psalms. It is a psalm. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed She has every expectation of the coming Christ, the coming Messiah, the coming anointed. So Elkanah went to his home at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. So he's going to stay there and be raised with Eli. All right, Mary's song reflects an amazing Old Testament foundation. And here are your sub-points. Ten of them, A through J. The pairing of soul and spirit. The pairing of soul and spirit, how they're used in tandem, how they're used in parallel, how they're used in relation with each other, yet distinction from each other. The soul is the nefesh, the spirit is the ruch. They're not pure synonyms. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're interchangeable, but many times they're not. You've got the outer man perishes, the inner man is renewed day by day. What's the inner man? Well, the inner man is the soul and spirit. And the soul and spirit have a distinction. They have a division where the Word of God pierces to that dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. So there is an inner core that that links soul and spirit, but soul is not spirit. Spirit is not soul. Sometimes they're used interchangeably just as an idiom or as a a figure of speech. But sometimes it's important to distinguish between them, and she does that here. I think it's similar to what Mary does. When Mary says, my soul exalts the Lord, my, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Or Psalm 77, verses 2 and 3, another example where soul and spirit are distinct. Or um, Isaiah 26, 9, where soul and spirit are distinct. All right, you want to do a study on soul and spirit? There's some verses for you. There's also God, the personal Savior, that we as humans need to be saved. And that God, our Creator, is the one who does save. He is a creator, he is a redeemer, he is a savior. And she understands that. And this, uh, this, this block of doctrine that Mary understands, I think, is, is powerful for you and I to understand how they evangelized in the Old Testament. You know, we tell people that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. Okay? All the evangelism we do is after the fact. All church-age evangelism is post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. Well, what was their evangelism like? How did they offer eternal life to an unbeliever before the cross? This category of doctrine, these ten categories of doctrine here, I think, give us that schematic, give us that outline. We know that our Savior is God, and that His coming anointed one is the one who will bring that reality to this earth. See, they're placing their faith in the Christ who's coming, the Messiah who's coming. We place our faith in the Christ who came, the Christ who died, the Christ who rose again. But both us and them are placing our faith in Christ to receive eternal life. All right. God, the personal Savior. Um, This passage isn't alone in that. Mary's passage isn't alone in that. Hannah's passage isn't alone in that. 
Sure, you got Luke one forty seven. You also have Psalm twenty four five, Psalm twenty five five, Micah seven seven, Habakkuk three eighteen. God, the personal Savior. Let's look at those. We're not going to do all ten of these today, but let's look at God, the personal Savior. How about Psalm twenty four? <clears throat> I mean, you can, you can go to Job and find. I know that my Redeemer lives. The, the oldest of the Old Testament books talks about. Yahweh is the Redeemer. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. It's a Davidic psalm. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? In other words... Who, who has eternal life? Who's saved? Who can, who can go to heaven? Who has clean hands and a pure heart? Who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully? Now, in human terms, nobody measures up. In human terms, none of us qualify. You could look at this messianically and see that only the Christ is qualified, but you can also look at this in terms of salvation and realize God does this for us when he saves us. He gives us the clean heart. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. A personal God who gives salvation as a gift. It's right there in Psalm 24, 5. How do people get saved in the Old Testament? By grace through faith. Same way you got saved. Same way I got saved. Just the information they had available to them was prophetic instead of historical. It, was, it anticipated the coming of the Messiah. It anticipated the coming of the, of the pure one, the righteous one. Faith in the coming Messiah, what he would accomplish. He shall receive a blessing from Yahweh, righteousness from the God of his salvation. Over to chapter 25 and verse 5. Again, it's a Davidic psalm. Uh, it says, make me know your ways, O Lord. In verse 4, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. See, it's not simply enough to be saved. You gotta be, once you're saved, you've got to become a disciple. You've got to follow his ways. You've got to walk in his path. You've got to uh, follow his leading. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. David's already a believer here, but he realizes salvation step one and walking the Christian way of life is step two. It's like uh, the, the great commandment, make disciples. It's not just get them saved. Make disciples. Once they're saved, put them on the path for walking in the light, growing in the truth, abiding in the Word of God. Here's what David's saying right here. It's the same, same Christian walk we have. It's just pre-Christ. Ours is post-Christ. It bothers some people that I call the Old Testament the Christian way of life. Well, it is. It is the way of life by faith in the Messiah. We'll call it the messianic way of life? Okay, fine. We'll call ours the Christian way of life and call theirs the messianic way of life. And we'll just have an English idiom that comes from either Hebrew or Greek. Micah 7.7. 7. What can we possibly learn in Micah? Come on, Micah. Are you kidding me? Micah, that's a minor prophet. 
Jonah, Micah, Nahum. You know, in Micah, living in a generation where his nation was in rebellion, woe is me is how the chapter starts. The godly person has perished from the land. There's no upright person among men. You look around and say, are there any Christians left anymore? Where's our culture? How in the world are our children going to find believers to marry? There aren't any believers left anymore. This world's gone dark. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. They're just violent. We've got a violent culture. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. <laughs> they're so good at evil, they're ambidextrous. They can, they can do evil left-handed, right-handed. It doesn't matter. They, they've gotten real good at it. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe. The great man, so they got political corruption. The great man speaks the desire of a soul. They weave it together. If you've got influence, you can buy whatever you want from government, from the courts. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright, like a thorn hedge. Do not trust in a neighbor. So we have societal breakdown, even at the local level. Do not have confidence in a friend. Everybody wants something. They will stab you in the back. From, you, from her who lies in your bosom, notice you may or may not be married, but you're living with a girl. For her who lies in your bosom, don't think because you're sleeping with her that you're safe. Guard your lips. For son treats father contemptuously, daughter rises up against daughter, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Now not only is this a, a, a passage describing the total societal decay of Micah's generation, it's also a messianic prophecy because the fulfillment of this is where? In the New Testament, in the life of Christ. Okay. <clears throat> Jesus even speaks about this. He says, don't think I came to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus quotes Micah. Isn't that beautiful? And we ignore it because, well, it's a minor prophet. There's no doctrine there. But as for me, Micah says, if I'm the last Christian in my country, I'm going to keep serving the Lord. As for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, a personal God who is a personal Savior. My God will hear me. He's going to answer prayer and he's going, to, he's going to protect us during all the angelic conflict of the Christian way of life. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. What a beautiful passage. Though I fall, I will rise. Yeah, I'm going to stumble every now and then. Who doesn't? But I can confess, get back in fellowship and rise again. Say, all I, all I can do is testify to the God of grace, the God of my salvation. All right. I want to read the rest of that chapter, but I don't dare. I'm running out of time. Habakkuk 3.18. Habakkuk, oh my goodness. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Get to Zephaniah, you've gone too far. Habakkuk 3.18. There's a lot of salvation in this passage. Um, Let 
Wow, I'm going to read the whole chapter. I can't do that though. God comes from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. This is going to be one of the Armageddon campaigns, all right? Which takes place part of it on the Mount of Olives, part of it uh, in the Valley of Megiddo, part of it um, in Basra, uh, part of it in this place, Teman, Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, the earth is full of his praise, radiance like the sunlight, his rays flashing from his hand, there is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence, plague comes after him. Yeah, do you want to stand against that in battle? <laughs> okay. Um, did the Lord rage? Let's see. You rode on your horses, verse 8, on your chariots of salvation. Your bow was made bare. The rods of chastisement were sworn. You cleaved the earth. Anyway, this is uh, all that's going to happen here in uh, Armageddon, Second Advent, the Armageddon campaign when the Lord returns and establishes His kingdom. Verse 12, In indignation you marched through the earth. In anger you trampled the nations. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You struck the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. All right. Verse 16, I heard and my inward parts trembled. The sound of my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones. In my place I tremble. Yeah, he didn't like this message. You think Habakkuk liked this message? And he had to deliver it. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Habakkuk understood that for, his, for Israel to enter into their kingdom, they were going to have to go through hell on earth. This judgment needed to come. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, there be no cattle in the stalls. In other words, if every sector of the economy is gone, okay, in an agricultural economy, you have, you have uh, fruit, you got vines, you got produce, you got animals, flock, cattle, everything. Every component. I mean, if the sheep don't do well, maybe the cattle will do better. If the cattle don't do well, maybe the sheep will do better. If the olives don't do well, well, then maybe the, the vines will do better. Or, you know, maybe at least we can get grapes if we can't get olives. But what happens if all of it's gone? If all of it's gone? We get so prideful. Americans get, you know, investors, well, I'm diversified. I've got a diversified portfolio. So yeah, some things won't do so well, but other things will do all right. And then I'm, I'm safe. I'm I'm insured from harm. I can't lose because I'm diversified. Until everything collapses, then what? Okay? But we have that satanic security where we say, I sit as a queen. I will never be a widow. I will never be shaken. Nothing can bring me down. And all that is is, is Tyre and Sidon and the satanic wisdom of, of, uh, of that. So, what happens when we live in the world of Mad Max beyond Thunderdome? <laughs> okay? Yet, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahweh is the God of my salvation. Yahweh, or Adonai Yahweh, the Lord God, is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds' feet. He has made me walk on my high places. Feet like hinds feet means that your world is ended. You are in total chaos. 
and yet the only place you can flee to are the high mountaintops and hopefully uh, keep your feet secure while they chase you and try to hunt you down. You want your feet to be like Heinz feet? That means you're a refugee. It means you're a renegade. You're uh, like David fleeing from Saul. You're a renegade. That's a better word than refugee. You're a renegade on the run. And there it is. Makes me walk on my high places for the choir director on my stringed instruments. All right. So sing that to stringed instruments, Doug. You got guitar? Okay. The pairing of soul and spirit, the personal savior, the uh, observance and vindication of faithful servants, but it may not come till heaven. Um, God, the mighty one, holy is his name. Generational faithfulness. He was faithful to my parents. He was faithful to my grandparents. He's faithful to me. He's going to be faithful to my kids and my grandkids. He is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. That's the message of the whole Bible right there. His victory in the angelic conflict. Mary knew about that. She was singing about that. Luke 1, 51-53. God's servant Israel. Do we know God's place for the nation of Israel? And the Abrahamic covenant. That is a wealth of doctrine. And this 13-year-old girl or 12-year-old girl, 15, whatever age she was, she was grounded in doctrine. What a tremendous mother to raise the humanity of, of our Savior. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the last 10 years. And we're going to look forward to, in the coming weeks, Father, a review, going through the early messages, going through the later messages, hitting the highlights, reminding ourselves of the um, Sermon on the Mount and all of it discourse and the upper room discourse and the, um, all, the, all the wealth of teaching, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water. Man. We've studied a lot. You have feasted, caused us to feast, Father. And we just want to give you the glory for all you have provided and bless this time together. We thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.